Hello, and welcome to the debut episode of Pure Paranormal Podcast. I'm Rick, and this is my co-host and wife, Crystal. Hi, everybody. This podcast is coming to you from Berea, Kentucky. We're a small town in the southeastern part of Kentucky. It's the horse capital of the world here. Although we're merely a blip on the map when compared to a large city like L.A. or something, this part of Kentucky is in the Appalachian Mountains. And it holds its own as far as paranormality is concerned. Being born and raised in this region of the United States has been a blessing in disguise for us. There's an abundance of true stories and eyewitness accounts of all things paranormal. The Pure Paranormal Podcast is devoted to taking our viewers, our listeners, and fans on a thrilling experience as we share the true stories and accounts from the small-time Joe Schmo to the most famous paranormal events ever documented. We hope to scare, captivate, and inspire, mainly entertain your minds with every show. Pure Paranormal Podcast is going to be an amazing project, and it's sure to deliver. Let's get the ball rolling today. This is our first episode, starting out with the story of The Demon House, a documentary and project from the world-renowned paranormal investigator Zach Beggins. This place is also called The House of 200 Demons. And it is talked about on the Lights Out podcast, and many other interested YouTubers have posted videos and have took a closer look at the Demon House. We would like to give a shout out and special thanks to the Lights Out crew. We're big fans of them. We learned a lot from their episode on the Demon House, and we hope you enjoy. That being said, time to embark on our first episode here on the Pure Paranormal podcast. This is the chilling true story of the Demon House. Demon House is possibly one of the most haunted houses in Gary, Indiana, if not the entire United States. Often called the Portal to Hell or the House of 200 Demons, this wow. quaint little house has been occupied by a few different families, and most recently it was purchased by Zach Beggins, the host of Ghost Adventures an extremely popular show on the Learning Channel, in which Zach and his crew of paranormal investigators travel the world in search of all things paranormal. Once the location is in their sights, no doubt that they will be there, balls to the wall, thoroughly investigating and using the most state-of-the-art technology uh, to capture video, audio, some cases, first-hand accounts of different anomalies, uh, disembodied voices, and also poltergeist activity. Actually, I think that, was that the uh, Travel Channel that was on? Correction, yes, that's the Travel Channel, not TLC. Sorry about that, Zach. Our story takes place in the beginning of yet another cold winter in Gary, Indiana. In November of 2011, Latoya Ammons has rented a house on Carolina Street where her three children and her mother, Rosa Campbell, all live together in this cozy, quiet part of the town. They are a close-knit family who are God-fearing, honest people, and like anyone else, are bracing for the impact of freezing weather and the rewarding joys of sipping hot chocolate as they watch their children play in a fresh blanket of snow. Sure to be on the ground before long. Latoya's two sons were seven and nine years old at the time, and her oldest child is her firstborn daughter, 
which is 12. The family has just gotten settled in and has been on Carolina Street for just a month or so when Latoya and Rosa found themselves battling swarms of houseflies, which began their attempt to make hives and nest in their screened-in porch. This was very odd, given this time of year and the cold, frigid temperatures were not enough to kill off the pesty insects, as one would assume that would be substantial enough to do the trick. The flies kept coming back day after day, and the two ladies kept killing them day after day. Little did they know, this was merely the peel of fruit of evil that was growing among them. And the flies are a common occurrence in paranormal activity, such as the Amityville Horror case, and of this one, and I think it's a demon's attempt to mock the Bible's ten plagues, because they had flies as one of the plagues, I believe. I think it was, it was yeah, you're right, it maybe it was seven or ten, I'm not sure, but, okay, and continuing on here, we had the Ammons family, and their screened in porch is overloaded with flies. The swarms of flies suddenly and abruptly came to a halt. Not even a single insect could be heard buzzing around, and Latoya and Rosa were very relieved by this, yet they couldn't understand why they were there in the first place, much less their unannounced departure from the porch without even just saying goodbye. Directly following the infestation, something sinister began to take place. Just after midnight, the family started hearing footsteps coming up the staircase in the kitchen that led down to the basement of the home. The subtle yet distinct sound of someone ascending the stairs was frightening enough, but as the sound reached the top of the stairs, the door to the kitchen would then open very slowly as if it was being eased open by a thief in the night trying to be stealthy. Trying not to be heard, creaking open only to reveal the chilling truth that no one was there. This happened night after night with the same punctual reoccurrence as the horse flies when they set up shop in that porch. Feeling paranormal? Perhaps, I'd say. Latoya locked her door in the kitchen every night from then on, just to provide a sense of security for herself and the family. With the door securely locked, the sound of the footsteps halted, and that door no longer opened on its own. The problem was beginning to freak out the family. At this point, they wouldn't have necessarily considered it to be a problem, especially in the sense that there wasn't a specific reason or rationale to label these types of occurrences. The cause was unclear, and the family would have to broaden their frame of mind and be willing to think outside the box, per se, in order to grasp the true reality of what was beginning to unfold. On one particular night, Latoya was suddenly awakened by a sound coming from her bedroom closet. From a dead sleep on a calm winter night to wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, with her eyes fixed on the closet, the door suddenly opened and a black shadow-like figure stepped out and made its way across the bedroom floor and into the hallway. With nerves of steel, Latoya managed to keep quiet and calm as this figure passed by then followed it out of the room once it was a few paces ahead of her. Adrenaline pumped through her body as she tried to control her breathing. Perhaps this was an intruder, and they hadn't 
noticed her under the thick, warm comforter she had slept under. In the blink of an eye, the figure was gone, vanished into thin air. What the hell? Latoya whispered to herself while trying to process what she had just witnessed. From where she stood, frozen in mid-stride, she could see what looked like wet, muddy boot prints all over the floor in no visible pattern. It was as if the anomaly had been pacing around for some time prior to her being awakened. Was it watching her sleep, maybe? This was the first full-body apparition Latoya would see. People always hear about someone seeing such an unbelievable sight, but to witness it firsthand was nothing short of pure paranormal proof in her eyes. Rosa and the children had seen this large, shadowy man as well, and it was unsettling. Not knowing what it was was very, very unnerving. Given the raw sense of terror, something so real, yet gone in the blink of an eye. Things would do nothing but get worse from here, she thought. She just hoped she was wrong. On March 10th, 2012, Latoya and the family found themselves in a period of sadness. There was a loss in the family, and their household was the unfortunate place to hold the wake of their loved one. It was bitterly cold in Gary, Indiana, and it was frozen like the rest of this part of the world. Just Another few months, and the cold would break away to April showers, which would bring those May flowers in warmer weather. Mama! Mama! The toy's daughter screamed out, startling the family that had still been up late that night talking and comforting each other. She screamed out for her mother as if there was a monster reaching out from under the bed with giant veiny arms that harbored bear-sized claws. Claws that were stretched out above her body as she laid on her bed sound asleep. Latoya, Rosa, and the rest of the group, completely taken by surprise from her 2 a.m. scream, rushed to the door of her daughter's room and burst in expecting to confront an intruder. Or that monster stretched out arms over a little girl's bed. Instead, they were collectively petrified, quite literally with only their eyes becoming the proud new owners of a horrific sight. About two feet above her twin bed, her daughter was levitating, flat and stiff as an ironing board. Her arms nestled perfectly against her side, fingertips pointed at her feet, but without the slightest hint of strain in her body. There she was before all of them, in mid-air, hovering, fucking floating, levitating, whatever you want to call it. She was sound asleep, yet in a way that would make Harry Houdini proud. No one knew how she was doing this. And who was yelling Mama? The girl was obviously unconscious, which instantly ruled her out. The entirety of the situation was inexplainable. Really impossible, really. It was happening right before their eyes. Acting swiftly and resorting to the best and most powerful solution, they began to pray. Latoya and her relatives prayed with the utmost sincerity. This seemed to instantly put her daughter back under the laws of gravity as she slowly began to descend down towards her bed. The more they prayed, the faster the gap between body and bed, impossible to possible, was closing. 
She finally came to rest on her bed after a fleeting time. The little girl woke up and had no recollection of what had just happened. She didn't know what the fuck happened. She had no idea. She was completely lost in the sauce and wondering why everyone was gathered around her in the middle of the night staring at her. She was in disbelief and would have had a hard time soaking in the truth of what happened that night. Victoria and everyone were left speechless. Without much discussion, which you would think would be inevitable, her relatives left and vowed to never return to that damn house again. Latoya and her children were now living a life of solitude. Their family had become too afraid to visit them or to continue their lives together like before. Like normal, you might say. Communication over the phone was practically the only way they all kept in touch after that night. Latoria and Rosa felt hopeless. They had no real help, and their family, the ones that should have been there for them, Duke Dickens in or whatever, wouldn't step foot in the house. Latoya began to seek help from another source. There were several different churches that she got in contact with, but unfortunately, none of them offered their help. They refused to get involved in a suit involved in a supernatural situation. They probably didn't take her seriously or even believe what she was telling them. It's a difficult thing to seek help for. Though a church would be the best, if not the only thing that would be capable of providing a solution for the family. Thus far, the only advice they were given by the church was to clean her entire house with bleach and ammonia. Draw crosses on the doors and windows with olive oil and last, anoint the hands and feet of her children with that same olive oil. She did this and drew a cross on each of their foreheads and prayed with them. I don't understand why they use bleach and ammonia, how that's part of the cleansing. I know it's part of how you clean your house, but I don't know what it's got to do with the demon. But I understand the anointing part. But anyway, continue. Yeah, that's uh, the bleach thing. I don't know. Maybe it's... Who knows? Who knows? It's kind of. I think they were maybe just feeding her some kind of bullshit to get them out of there or something. Probably. You know? More than likely. Latoya sought out help from a psychic medium since her attempts to get a religious helping hand had not prevailed. She met with two different psychics, which revealed an amazing, yet terrifying reality to her and the family. Collectively, the psychics identified over two hundred different entities, ghosts. Demons, spirits, what have you. They were from all walks of life and death. This was utterly shocking to Latoya and the family. At the same time, there was always the thought that these psychics were exaggerating or bullshitting her to capitalize on the fact that she was desperate and dependent on whatever help she could get. She was very skeptical for succumbing to their findings, but she took it as the truth in order to move forward with rectifying the situation. Victoria was devastated as anyone would be because she was unable to move. She couldn't afford to do it. It was a very grim reality to know that there was no immediate escape from the house they called home. It was home to so many evil and demonic presences. She was heartbroken, so was Rosa. To know the imminent danger her children may be subjected to without a, any relief, you know. The next step Latoya took was to utilize the advice she got from those psychics. They suggested she make an altar in the basement under her stairs. 
It was to consist of a small table covered in a white cloth. These were very specific details. And on this table, she was to place a Bible, a white candle, and pour salt around the perimeter of the entire basement close to its walls. Statues of Mary, Joseph, Jesus, um, anything like that were to accompany the Bible and the white candle on the table. The Bible was to remain open to the scripture of Psalm 91, a passage about being protected by God. This makeshift altar she had with the hope and prayer would be strong enough to rid the family of these unwanted evil demons and encounters. By inviting a good presence into the home and praising God through prayer, Latoya and the rest of the family sat back and waited to see if these things would help in any way. She was putting all her faith in this attempt and was trying to stay ambitious and positive. It's the best thing she could do. I don't understand why she made an altar and then put the Bible there that's like mixing uh, Wiccan with Catholicism and I think she was making a doorway really to, to invite more in instead of getting them out. She's not casting anything out. She's like welcoming welcome the demons in so I think it was a bad approach. Yeah, and they and I said they they labeled it the portal to hell, and that that basement was one of the most haunted parts of the whole house. And wow. there were many accounts of of things happening, uh, which we'll get to here shortly. But yeah, you're right. She she just made an open gate, a floodgate for demons. Psalm ninety one verse four: He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Bible was left open to this scripture, and this was supposed to fortify the uh, table, and it was supposed to complete everything. Latoya, Rosa, and a few of their brave friends completed that altar in the basement as the psychics had instructed. Following its completion, the group moved upstairs to perform a small blessing or cleansing ritual for the rest of the house. They dressed in all white, complete with white scarves fastened around their heads, and burned sage and sulfur throughout the entire house, being sure to leave a thick presence of smoke to accompany the strong aroma. They recited Psalm 91 over and over as they made their way from room to room until the ceremony was complete. For the next three days, everything seemed to be back to normal. No ghosts coming out of the damn closet and roaming around the house while they slept. No levitating children, no swarms of house flies, none of that shit. They were so relieved to have a sense of peace now. Nothing felt better than the return of normality for the family. They were now able to take a breath. Unfortunately, this newfound tranquility didn't last long. With a few days directly following... The short-lived downtime, the demonic forces returned with vengeance. Almost as if they were pissed off at Latoya for trying to get rid of them. One afternoon, Latoya was looking for her nine-year-old son and couldn't find him where he would usually be playing. You know, in the yard and sometimes he would play out back of the house. Either in the house or out in the yard, deep in an imagination-inspired realm. Instead. When she did find him, he was in the closet of his room. She actually heard him before laying her eyes on him. 
he was having a full-blown conversation with someone or something not visible to our worldly eyes, talking in a passive manner, almost playful, you know, as if neighbor's little boy was joining him and building a fort or something in the closet. Typical for young boys of their age, playing tag or hide-and-seek, you know, that, that's what she was assuming. But there was no boy in the closet with her son, no human at all. He was alone and in the dark. And more frightening than that was he didn't remember even being in the closet, much less the context of the conversation that had taken place. He was taken back, even for a nine-year-old little boy, to be told about something he could not remember. Surrounding this isolated event, the boy would growl on occasion. He would make his weird sound or speak in a mature, deep, dark voice that no young child would be capable of. What are you doing? I don't care. You know, he was getting pretty freaky with his voice. He had no recollection of doing so when his mom asked him about it. I've been here long enough. I came to kill. Her son would randomly say these type of things. Hate through the voice he had. He once told Latoya what it was like to be killed in gruesome detail, something no child should have a concept of. These demons was getting his head pretty bad. You pretty know. bad. I can't take it anymore. Make it fucking stop. I can't look into her eyes no more. Latoya's daughter would plead out while covering her ears with shaking hands, tears flowing down her cheeks. All the while, not knowing what she was saying. This was completely terrifying for Latoya, being her mom, and she had no way of combating the evil that was compelled to transgress through her daughter's body. At times, Latoya would experience her own run-ins with evil. She would feel her temperature rise at an alarming rate, accompanied by weakness, trembling, and feeling lightheaded or dizzy. She knew there was something supernatural affecting her and her family. Once these things started happening without warning, she knew she was fucked. Rosa did the best she could to protect her daughter and grandchildren, but she was never personally affected by whatever entities were in the home. She always said she had a guardian angel by her side that protected her from evil and that she was sure it was protecting her from the darkness they had amongst them now. One of her sons was thrown out of the damn bathroom in a violent manner, as if he was blindsided by an NFL linebacker or something. She couldn't see anybody there. She didn't see shadow figures or nothing, but here come her son, just launched out of the bathroom. The door to his bathroom burst open, followed by her grandson. He was quite literally flying through the air before crashing down hard against the floor. Latoya's daughter, in a separate occasion, had received stitches in her head after the headboard of her bed had struck her. She was caught off guard by this, of course, and she asked her family for help. On a different occasion, her daughter started hearing voices as well. Latoya's daughter said that an unseen force had been holding her down at the time that her headboard fell over and hit her in the head. This is just purely terrifying to me to think about that. 
it's almost like um, sleep paralysis is how she had described it. Uh, she was awake, but she wasn't able to move. And then her headboard topples over and busts her right, you know, right in the forehead. It's pretty fucked up, really. It's terrifying. Yeah. And you can't scream out or nothing, you know. And I've had that happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've had that happen to me, sleep paralysis. And it's one of the scariest things in the world. Yeah. I and have... there, uh, and you, you're awake, but you can't move. You can't scream. And I've had it where I've been face down in the bed and I can't breathe. Yeah. Being suffocated almost. Yeah. An unseen force without a body, a soul, or the concept of either that actually caused harm to her. All these things happened in a short period of time, rapidly adding to the surplus of eggshells the family had walked on as, as they lived their daily life. It was really overwhelming, to say the least. Latoya's daughter had told her that a voice had spoken to her during that attack as well, and it had threatened her. Your family will be dead in 20 minutes if you don't stop, and you will never see them again. Remember the soft, promising voice as she lay there petrified in disbelief, not wanting to acknowledge what she had just heard. Given a valiant attempt to dismiss the voice, it was very traumatic for her, and she would have to live with this for the rest of her life. Now it seemed the spiritual force in their home was a pure evil. Not just a spirit who didn't know what they did or a relative playing tricks on them from the other side. This was something from hell. This was purely a demon. As the days went on, these paranormal attacks were starting to take a toll on the family. And the children were suffering the most. It was hard for them to go to school and participate, and their grades began to slip. At times, Latoya would have to run a hotel so the family could rest. They would have to endure many sleepless nights and hope to be, uh, you know, awake enough to go to school so they didn't fail. It's hard on these little kids, you know. They did not care. They kept murmuring voices, they kept doing poltergeist kind of things, items in the house would be moved when they were asleep, and when they woke up, items would be in the floor, they would be knocked over, lamps would be turned on or turned off. One time, an air freshener was thrown across the living room, sliding under the couch as it came to rest. This was too much for the family, they wanted to say, fuck this, we're leaving, but it was hard for them to do it with no money. These demons had something bad in store for them. Victoria and Rosa could feel it in their bones. In a hasty spur-of-the-moment attempt to escape the evil, they decided to leave everything they owned behind and make a run for it. They would flee the house and seek refuge in a nearby hotel. On the way out the door, Victoria's son was flipped, fucking somersaulted over the porch, and and his ribs were bruised from the railing that he had flipped over. He landed painfully in the grass in their front yard, and everyone was shocked. They really gave him a good whack on the way out. Completely stunned, shaking and crying, it was hard for the boy to accept the fact that he had just been tossed over the 
Well, by a demon. That's what it is. A demon has fucked him up again. These demons were able to put hands on people, in other words. These are God-fearing people, and they were believing in God and having faith in it, but yet they were still being attacked by something from hell. Victoria promised her children that they would get to the bottom of this and rid their house and lives of these demons. She didn't know what they were facing, so finding out what they were actually up against would be the first move. She was determined to find out what it was. Whether this is a demon, a lost soul, a spirit, whatever the fuck it is, it had to change. They had to get to the bottom of it and get their lives back to normal. And Latoya had had enough and concluded that what was attacking the family is something evil and paranormal. She then decided to take her children to their family practitioner and get a medical grasp of what's going on and see if there's any way to get help from a doctor. Uh, the religious aspects, psychics, uh, home remedies, none of that shit didn't work. So their family doctor had been in practice for, for many years and had been seeing them as a family for 20 years or more. And he was very familiar with all of them. He, he was there when they were born, when they took their first steps. You know, he, he did it all. He gave them their immunization. So he was real close to this family. As soon as the doctor entered the room to begin his investigation and his examination of them, he experienced a sensation of fear, just a, a gut-wrenching dread, you know, imminent, imminent doom, something bad's going to happen. And out of the blue, the doctor turned and looked at the, the nine-year-old boy, and the boy was very much out of character. He screamed out, Fuck you, doctor. He screamed it out and stunned everyone in the room. Then the boy was picked up and thrown into the wall by some unseen force. This happened right in front of everyone. The medical personnel tried to calm the boy down and restrain him after he had hit the wall. And that doctor had never experienced such violent, aggressive behavior from children, much less the cruel, profane language that he had used when he had first entered that exam room. The doctor said he may have expected this from an adult, but not from a kid. Later, he said he felt as if the family was experiencing the beginning of being possessed by imminent danger, and possession is no joke. In addition, the doctor did not understand how the children were able to process such deep, Dramatic, demonic voices when they spoke. Oh, good You know, it's it something, something real sinister. At this point, Valerie Washington, an experienced CPS social worker who had dealt with many cases of child abuse and violence and poverty, you know, what have you, amongst, amongst uh, kids, she was assigned to this case and was the first social worker to take a crack at it. Before she arrived, the staff at the hospital evaluated the children and determined that they had not suffered any physical injuries or bodily harm and that their state of mind was clear and normal. You know, they were okay. But it did seem as if Latoya could have been pulling the strings and influencing their words and actions in some twisted way. Possibly something supernatural 
inadvertently affected the minds of the children. They seemed to react to her actions as though she could control or influence what they were thinking. While this all seemed very far-fetched, there were no clear explanations as to what everyone had witnessed and what everyone was going through at this point. And any type of explanation was better than the blank that fucking looming over everyone's mind. You know, what's going on? Can't see it, but it's hitting us. It's hurting us. Their decision to have CPS involved in the first place derived from Latoya's suggestion to rub olive oil on the heads and feet of the children, which they all thought was absurd, you know, given the circumstances. This led them to believe that Latoya could have been abusing them behind closed doors. When Valerie first arrived, she began her interview with the family, and the nine-year-old boy immediately started growling at her while his eyes rolled in the back of his head, and all the staff in the in the nearby wing of the hospital had to run in and grab the boy and attempt to calm him down. While they were trying to do so, Valerie decided to give the boys and some family a break. They got the boys settled down. She said, that's enough. They will to get the fuck out. We got to give these, these people time to themselves. They're getting tested and questioned and poked and prodded and, and people are drawing conclusions and, you know, it's all just overwhelming. Valerie gave them the much-needed break. Several hours went by, and it was dark, uh, around 9 or 10 p.m., I would imagine. So Valerie goes into the room and, you know, picked up where she left off. Um, she was trying to determine if there was any abuse coming from LaToya or she was doing like a, a brainwash, I guess you might say. It's kind of extreme, but the little boy started to act funny. He looked, he had this deranged look. So he charges straight towards his grandmother and headbutted the shit out of her in her stomach. Just over and over. He kept bam, bam, bam. Rosa grabbed him by his shoulders and screamed, You're not my grandson. You're a demon. Rosa then shifted her grip to the boy's hands, and at this time, he slowly started walking backwards towards the wall. What the fuck? While still in the grasp of his grandmother, as if you would walk a small child, and she's taking her first steps, and you're leading her along. This is how they were doing. The boy walks backwards, and as he bumps into the wall with his back, to everyone's surprise, he starts weightlessly stepping up the wall backwards, taking a small, steady pace, walking up the wall. He's still holding his grandmother, and she is so stunned. She is just petrified, cannot believe what's going on. The boy seemed to have no weight. There was no tension. He walks backwards up the wall. And is literally upside down with his feet on the ceiling. Once he got to that point, he flipped over down behind his grandmother and let out a horrific scream. This was just an 
awful sound that came out of the boy's mouth. And then it quickly switched over to a small little boy, all calm and, and sweet, and he chuckled. <laughs> Everyone in the room stood petrified as they witnessed this, something truly impossible by a human. And jaws to the floor, they were trying to get their brains to form even a single word sent along to their mouths. It was impossible. They couldn't speak. They were too frightened to react. Valerie, in fact, was the first person to run out of the room, followed by the rest of the staff, leaving only the family in the presence of this pure evil. Frantically, one of the RNs found their doctor and swiftly escorted him back to the room, where they assumed the supernatural phenomenon would have still been happening. You know, they figured it was something fucked up was still going on or was about to. But everyone was standing there just dumbfounded as if nothing had happened. The doctor sternly demanded the seven-year-old boy. He said, do what you just did. Walk up that wall. I want to see it. Do it again. He didn't believe the incident had occurred at all. But both the boys claimed that they had no idea what he was talking about. And mockingly said, it was impossible to do that. How how could I walk up a wall? How could I do anything like that? I'm just a nine-year-old little boy. In the midst of all this shit, they called 911, and there were multiple ambulances. And I followed by cops. You know, they had several officers, ambulances. They rushed to the doctor's office, flooded uh, to that hospital. When they got there, they were bracing themselves for some kind of graphic, you know, crazy shit going on, uh, monsters, demons, who knows. But they are um, law enforcement, and they have seen death and violence and all that. So they would have been well prepared. The children were then rushed straight to the emergency room nearby as Latoya and Rosa escorted them in fear that they were hurt in some way. The doctor had no choice but to admit the seven-year-old boy and insisted the rest of the family should just go home and try to rest, which they were not going to do, no way in hell, so they chose to go to a hotel again, home away from home. Rosa took the other two children and did that. He stayed with his son overnight and prayed with him. This boy had walked backwards and literally climbed up the wall. He would have been looking her eye to eye, stepping backwards, and then completely upside down. Flipped over and made that terrible... I mean, that's fucked up. I, I, I can imagine that happening. It's so crazy. So, after all that happened, they took the kids to the hotel, and they admitted the one boy and that's where they would have to go from there. The seven-year-old was getting ready to celebrate his birthday, actually, the next day. And this should be a proud, you know, happy, joyful time. But unfortunately, no joy would follow. And, the, and Vincent inspired these demons to, uh, to make their presence known. The family all returned that evening and brought a small cake and a few gifts, and sang happy birthday, and try to make the boy feel normal. After the celebration, 
Valerie entered the room with devastating news. She informed Latoya that she would be taking all three of her kids into custody, as were the wishes of CBS. And she was convinced, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that the things she witnessed were indeed a result of some sort of child abuse and neglect from the children's mother. Latoya begged and pleaded with Valerie, stating, She must be wrong. There ain't no way I'm doing this shit. I'm not hurting these kids. These are my babies. And you guys are wrong and fuck you. You know, instead of receiving the help that she needed so badly, she was separated from the kids at the worst time, especially on the, on the little boy's birthday. How crippling this must have been for the entire family. They only wanted to move forward towards rectifying the situation. It had become the worst nightmare for Rosa, being a parent to Victoria. She's the grandmother, and she's not able to do anything. She has to just step aside and let whatever happened happen. Seeing her daughter lose her children in the blink of an eye like that was very devastating. Valerie later reported the children were suffering from a spiritual attack and emotional distress that stemmed from their mother. She found that all the kids were missing a substantial amount of school, and this was clearly unacceptable in the eyes of CBS. It was her duty to remove the kids from the household and get them away from the care of Latoya, whether she wanted to or not. Latoya was given a simple, simple glimpse of hope. Unexpectedly, a man named Father Mike offered his hand. His name is Michael Magno. Magno, actually, I believe. And he was the chaplain at that hospital. He came in and talked to him and his family. And Father Mike was not familiar with exorcisms. This would be something very much out of his element. Father Mike was not familiar with this, like I said. When he got to the house, the first thing they showed him was the muddy boot prints that had been left there by whatever entity this was. As Father Mike moved around the house and, and got a feel for the layout and what's going on, he began to see a shadow figure out of the corner of his eye. He noticed also the bathroom light started to flicker and become dim and then bright and then back and forth and then amazingly bright, you know, really, really, really bright. After this stopped happening, though, Mike went into the bathroom and found that the switch was in the opposition this whole time. But this kept happening over and over. He felt as if the light source was being controlled by something out of this world. Him being a man of faith, he knew it was a demon. He sensed that this evil spirit was afraid of him 
since he was a man of God, and at the same time, this possibly influenced the demonic presence to show itself. Suddenly, the blinds in the kitchen window began to move. As if a draft was blowing through, they began to flutter. All the windows were locked, though, in the whole house. There was no air coming from any ventilation system or any air conditioning, things like that. Toya had experienced a terrible migraine. I mean, it's just, it just put her to her knees. It hurt so bad. The pain was excruciating. The father Mike decided to try and hold a crucifix to her head to see if this may have any effect. You figure, you know, hold a cross or something and, and pray, then that's going to that's gonna help you. It always will. Once Father Mike did this, she immediately began, began to convulse and shake violently. And only when he took it away from her body did she stop the shaking. It was like the demon inside of her was just being damaged. He was getting his ass kicked once that cross was on her. Unfortunately, Father Mike had come to the conclusion that that demon did, in fact, attach itself to Latoya. She was also afraid that this may have been the case all along and that maybe it was uh, rubbing off on her children. And this made her feel very bad. She felt like she was causing all their pain and suffering. After a few hours, Father Mike decided to leave the home. He had seen enough and needed to gather his thoughts, come up with a plan of action. A few weeks later, the CPS worker Valerie met the two ladies at the home for an inspection. She was accompanied by a Gary, Indiana police officer, as well as two officers from a different jurisdiction. The three cops had heard of the troubling stories about this house and what had been taking place involving the family and evil spirits, and they wanted to see it firsthand and see if these accusations were in fact true. One of the officers was a captain of the Gary, Indiana Police Department named Charles Austin. He had visited the house one month before to do a welfare check after reports that the kids were missing school on numerous occasions. The day he went to the house, he was shocked by what he found. He said there were Bibles, candles, crosses, all kind of shit laying all over the house, and it was very disturbing. He said he didn't believe in ghosts, but not in demons and all that. Uh, It could be there. It could not be there. He said it was just a weird thing to think about, you know. Father Mike was also invited to the house for this visit, as I was saying, along with the social worker and the police officers. So Latoya thought that this was enough of a crowd that, you know, it would be safe for her to maybe go back there again. Rosa led the group into the house and they began their investigation of the basement. One of the officers stated that once he went down the stairs into that basement, he looked at the the small closet. It had a door on it. He looked at it on the way down the stairs, you know, no big deal. But the next time he 
raised his head up to look at the door, and it was in a different spot. It was on a different part of the fucking wall, like as if it had moved, completely moved. They had a voice recorder, you know, a handheld little deal, and it was fully charged when they got there. And to his surprise and everyone, they uh, go to use it, and what do you know, the battery's dead. Dead as shit, it wouldn't even turn on. They ended up having to resort to a second recorder. And when they did that, an EVP was captured. An electronic voice phenomenon. They were small talking in the basement. And he had started to say something to LaToya when the EVP was recorded. And supposedly, it says there was a distinct voice that said, Hey, Officer Austin also took photos with an iPhone that he had and later saw that they revealed shadowy figures that looked like the outline of peoples walking around that house. And he believed they were demons. As Captain Austin was leaving the basement, he noticed a foil pan with a candle underneath the stairs. And to him, it looked like, like the remnants of a ritual or something shady had been happening. And he was worried that Latoya or maybe Rosa were attempting to conjure up the evil spirits. He left the house and drove a mile away, pulled over a gas station, and he made a phone call. He had the phone speaker turned turned on and was listening to the radio at the same time. And the volume, all of a sudden, it went to the max loud as it fucking can. It says, "Yo, it out! The person was talking on the phone to the officer, and they both heard that voice on both ends of the line. It was very, very startling. And they didn't know what to do, but he was he was in fear now that whatever was at that house was with him. This shit didn't follow him. He said that he would continue to help with the investigation of the house as far as the paranormal part goes uh, he was still skeptical but he did have to keep a close eye on Latoya you know that was his duty the school officials had started to question Latoya and asking her about why you know why are they missing so much school she explained to them that the demons had been making themselves known in the home and their children had been encountering paranormal things and ghosts and hearing voices and being influenced to do things, you know, say and do shit. Uh, and they, of course, found this alarming. They begin to assume that there's something going on behind closed doors. You know, it's, it's got to be the mom or something. Her two oldest kids, the daughter and the nine-year-old son, were placed in protective living situation under state supervision. However, the younger son was placed in a psychiatric ward under the care of Stacy Wright. She regularly questioned the boy about what had been taking place at the home, and once anything was mentioned about supernatural happenings or ghosts or entities, you know, the boy's demeanor would change. He would start asking questions about the afterlife and about death and how does it feel to die and weird shit, you know. He even asked, you know, do he said, do we go to space when we die? That's something that they quoted that he said. 
he would also give a different answer or allude to something else when you know when they're talking about the supernatural. It's kind of like he was he was um, being influenced to not talk about it, not spill the beans. He said that he felt like he was protecting the evil that surrounded him. And then when they asked him, why did he say that? What are you talking about? He has no recollection of it. He never remembers saying it and, and just denied it, you know. He was always caught off guard by these kind of questions. And Stacy kept drilling him. It seems as though there were more attention he received from the people around him the more he started to act up. At times, one might think that he was faking it. You know, it just bullshit. Joel Swartz was the other psychiatrist that evaluated the Ammons children. The two of them together came to the conclusion that Latoya was rubbing off on them, so to speak, and that she was influencing them to behave erratically and maybe act like they're possessed at times. And she seemed to be like coaching them or something. This was their professional opinion. But all things considered, there was too much happening to chalk it up as fictitious. Latoya's daughter was evaluated a little more in depth. She was the oldest, and she would, uh, you know, they would cross-reference her story to the younger kids, and it all checked out. They found the daughter believed in her mother's religious point of views as well. And she thought that it was demons and they were trying to possess her. At the conclusion of the children's evaluation, Latoya was given supervised visits with the kids. And they made it clear that they were never to discuss anything supernatural. Don't talk about this shit. They just don't mention it at all. No more. Leave it behind. Suppress it. Push it aside or whatever. Then they were trying to work with the family and find a way for this to be resolved. That being said, they began the process of rebuilding their home, trying to make it safe for the kids and everyone to return. When Toya arose to discipline the kids, however, it had to be known that it was for a valid reason and not in the name of the Lord or any religious things or Nothing to do with a a spiritual enemy or demons. Simply a mother trying to teach her children right from wrong and the difference in good and evil. Latoya had a few stipulations to follow first if she wanted to get her kids back. She was to find a steady job and find a new place to live. This was important because the kids wouldn't be able to put all this behind them and move forward if they went back to that same old house. They presumed it to be haunted, so their best bet was just to find somewhere else to live. They would need a fresh start, clean slate, you know, or there'd be no hope. Valerie was forever changed by the event she had witnessed. Soon after the whole ordeal, she quit her job as a social worker and even moved out of Gary, Indiana altogether. She found everything to be overwhelming, and just as the Ammons family, she needed a fresh start. So, she said, fuck this, I'm out. Since Valerie was out of the picture, Captain Austin and the two other officers from the GPD brought a new social worker named Samantha Illick 
to meet Rosa and Latoya at their home. They decided to go in and head down to the basement and pick up where they left off on their last investigation. On the way in, Stacy noticed a gooey black liquid dripping from the blinds that hung in the window of the room, the front room. It was oily, almost like syrup, and seemed to be no explanation for why it was there or where it was coming from. They looked all over for a source and came up empty. The group then moved to the basement and searched under the stairs that led down to the dirt floor. The salt was still around the perimeter, and the table was still there with the Bible and the statues of uh, God and Jesus and, and the Virgin Mary and everything. They had everything down there. They did clean the blinds before they went down and figured that would be the end of it, you know. The dirt floor kept sticking in everyone's mind, and I don't know, I guess it maybe instinctually, they decided to dig around and see what was down there. After digging just a few inches down in the dirt, they found several peculiar objects that obviously would have been put there by somebody. There was a, a fingernail. Uh, they said there was a metal can, a kid's shoe, you know, other things that didn't belong there. Uh, there was a hair clip and a small piece of red plastic. So Mike had spread the salt along the perimeter, and it was untouched. It was just the way he had left it. Of course, they wondered, what were these objects doing buried? Like it was some kind of a sacrificial thing or, or something to do with a ritual. And if so, that means the toy is fucking up. She's trying to conjure up something. The digging came to a halt. And Stacy was upstairs. Still baffled about the, the oily shit all over the blinds. So she cleaned it all up. And then had to go outside and, and take a breather. Out of nowhere, Captain Austin, down in the basement, he had a fear come over him like no other. And this man had responded to calls from shots fired to homicide, you know, dead bodies, murders. But this house had scared him far more than anything else in his life. Father Mike rushed out to see what the commotion was upstairs. And as he looked back towards the house, he saw those blinds dripping again. He had just went out to talk to Stacy and see what she had uh, figured out. And I know she had touched that gooey substance, so he wanted to know what's going on. She had cleaned it, went outside, and his father Mike went out there. He turns around and it's still there. It's there again. And there's no way that shit was there Father Mike talked to Stacy about an exorcism. Maybe this was going to be the answer, but he had to get permission. You can't just go in and say, hey, we're going to do an exorcism, so let's get the shit ready. He has to go to the Vatican and ask him if he's has permission to perform an exorcism on the house itself. He had never done this before. 
so it would be difficult. One that require permission from the Catholic Church, and he would need to study the most, you know, suitable way to do it. He went to the Bishop of Diocese of Gary, Indiana, and presented the evidence they had gathered thus far. He explained to them all the events leading up to him seeking help, and he told them that he really truly believed that they would need an exorcist, and an exorcism is going to have to happen. The Bishop of Diocese told him he could not give him permission to do that just yet. He had to talk to the rest of the congregation first. In 21 years, the Bishop of Gary had never allowed such a ritual to take place. He may have been barking up the wrong tree. You know, he didn't really have much experience about it, and I guess he needed to take a more subtle approach to it. They suggested a minor exorcism on Latoya. This would stir the pot, if you will, and, and provoke the demon's presence to manifest, and maybe they could go from there. If you succeed in finding out the true name of the demon that you're dealing with, only then will you be able to exorcise it from the desired host. Father Mike met with Latoya at her home. He was accompanied by two Gary police officers and Samantha, this time the caseworker. She was especially skeptical of the whole thing and didn't expect to see or feel or, you know, anything at all. She expected Latoya to be overreacting. Father Mike performed this minor exorcism on Latoya in hope of getting closer to identify the demon to get his name. Inevitably, learning its name was the goal. And this would be the one thing that he needed to do to get rid of the demon. Once it was out of her body and soul, it could be cast out of the house as well. Or, you know, so they hoped. He told Latoya to keep a good recollection on how she felt shortly after the ritual was complete. You know, just, just let, let, you know, give us some feedback. Let us know how you feel, what's going on mentally, physically. What were her emotions and ways of thinking? What would she experience as far as like mood swings or views on religion, strengthening or weakening of her faith? Would she question God himself? All these things would be used in identifying which demon they were up against. If they could be aware of, of how they were being affected by the demon, this would shed light to the personality and characteristics of whatever demon it was that they were facing. This was the idea, ideology they would use to seek out and defeat the darkness through a full-blown exorcism. Father Mike was no exorcist by far. He needed to learn all he could about this ritual and be sure not to endanger Latoya and her family any further. After diligent research was done by both Latoya and Father Mike, they felt as though they were ready to move forward with the next step. The bishop finally granted permission to do a full exorcism on Latoya on June 2nd of 2012. Actually, a total of three exorcisms were done that month in Father Mike's church. And it was very difficult. There were two police officers present for each ritual. 
no one else had previously been involved had the balls to go there. They were not going to get involved. They were all too afraid of the evil that had attached itself to them. Who knows the reasoning, but they refused to be there nonetheless. Samantha Illick actually stopped working on Latoya's case altogether. She washed her hand to the whole situation and said, Fuck it, I'm done with this. Probably in fear of being possessed herself, you know. The same people who doubted Latoya wouldn't stay by her side when shit hit the fan. Father Mike was the only one with the courage to help her. And he knew he had the power of God with him, and that's all it takes. On each of these three sessions, Father Mike prayed with Latoya, recited scriptures and sprinkled holy water, and used the same crucifix he would later give to Latoya to rid demons from her body and soul. After these rituals, she became ill, and she would be nauseous and dizzy. A terrible pain would consume her body. A horrible pain, much worse than childbirth, she described, and splitting migraines would ensue. The first two exorcisms were not effective. Over the course of the month of June, Latoya and her father blessed their new home, and near the end of June... The third and final exorcism was performed in Latin. Unlike the first two, which were done in just regular English. This was the key to uh, expelling those demons. He did it in Latin, and they pretty much, they, they figured that this had worked. There was the recital of the scriptures, and vigorous prayer, and the use of that crucifix had finally prevailed. Her symptoms of possession gave way to signs of victory. The pain and agony came to a halt. Father Mike was able to cast out all the demons from Latoya's body and soul. She was very thankful to finally put all that behind her and to live a life without the evil that had lived inside her for so long. Six months would pass before Latoya would be reunited with her children. It wasn't until November 2012 that her three children were able to rejoin Latoya and Rosa at their new home in Indianapolis, Indiana. They had never been so thankful and happy, and happy to be back together under the same roof. The family never returned to their old home in Gary, Indiana. Many of the people who had been involved in the initial investigation wished to remain anonymous, and they were too afraid to even speak publicly about it. Some say Latoya's boyfriend had something to do with the pure evil in that home. Many people felt as if he was upset about the relationship and he could have summoned an evil spirit or maybe the devil himself to torment Latoya. And who knows? Who knows what happened there for sure. But there is there are hundreds of documents uh, pertaining to this paranormal event. And all of it is documented, all the shit that took place at this house. Once the Emmons family story went public, now it caught the eye of Zach Beggins. He is the host of the popular TV show Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. Zach and his crew have traveled all over the world in search of all the paranormal things that are uh, anywhere in the world. He had never heard 
of this house or even Gary, Indiana. And once it came out publicly, he decided, fuck that, I'm all in. And he actually purchased the home, outright bought it with the lot that it was on for $35,000. He and his crew, they relocated to the house in Gary, Indiana and began filming a documentary he would later call Demon House. And this documentary, guys, is is unbelievable. It is so awesome. You gotta gotta check it out. Demon House from Zach Beggins. It was called The Portal to Hell as well. And Zach was eager to get started with the project. He was contacted by a psychic friend and they they had warned him that there was a demonic guardian present at that home. This guardian was a 12 foot tall goat man who was very powerful and would surely impose a threat. He warned him to not move forward with the Demon House project. However, after three years in the making, it was finally completed. And all the things that led up to this completion would forever change Zach's life. Some things can't be undone. And there are doors in this world that are better left unopened. The devil is known to be the lord of lies, a master of deceit and manipulation. And the only true way to to deliver him into hell and the evil that he creates... Is something that you have to pray for and pray to God to rid him out of your home and your lives. When it's all said and done, the Ammons family were rid, got rid of their demons, and it took three exorcisms and all the torment and all the agony that they went through was finally over. Zach Beggins has dove into that project, and I have seen it. It is very, very good. You guys should check it out. It's, uh, like I said, it's called Demon House. And, well, this has been the haunting story of the Demon House. We hope you have enjoyed our debut episode here on Pure Paranormal Podcast. This is Rick and Crystal saying thank you for tuning in to our podcast And we hope you check out all of our content as we get the ball rolling here in the near future. Please like and subscribe when we get this on YouTube. And uh, help us out, guys. We need followers. We love what we're doing. And we hope you guys love it, too. Enjoy, and God bless.